All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Zabonik Chonko, editor in chief of Club Solutions Magazine, and welcome to our monthly virtual roundtable series on thought leadership. Um, this session is sponsored by Club OS and will surround the topic of New Year trends. We've curated a wonderful panel for you all today, including Joel Cerule, Joe, sorry, Joe Cerule, the founder and owner of Gainesville Health and Fitness, Vicki Brick, the CEO of Brick Bodies, Mark Miller, the COO of Merit Clubs, John Brady, the president of Midtown Athletic Clubs, and Maria Gonzalez, the CEO of Club Fitness in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, if you guys have any questions during the discussion, please feel to send those through via the Q&A section and we'll get to as many as we can. Um, and then just to start off with um, panel, could each of you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your clubs, you know, how many locations you have, your main demographics. Um, Vicki, we'll go ahead and start with you if that's all right. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Vicki Brick. Um, I am the CEO of Brick Bodies. We have three locations, full service locations spread out around the Baltimore area. All right. What about you, Maria? Hi, um, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm Maria Gonzalez. I am in Greensboro, North Carolina. We have two full service facilities um, and um, we have been in business for over 40 years. All right, Joe. Uh, Joe Cerulli, I own Gainesville Health and Fitness Centers. We have three fitness centers in Gainesville, Florida. We have two uh, orthopedic rehabilitation centers that are built inside our facilities. And I also have two boutique studios down in the uh, Tampa Bay area that are focused on strength training. Perfect. What about you, Mark? Uh, Mark Miller, the Chief Operating Officer at Merit Clubs. We have nine locations. Um, in the Baltimore metropolitan area, uh, mostly full service. We do have three express clubs. Um, and then we have a um, corporate wellness um, division that we manage a few corporate wellness centers. Perfect. John? Yeah, hi there, uh, everybody. Nice to be with you today. Um, Midtown Athletic Clubs has eight uh, premium sports resorts um, spread on the East Coast predominantly from uh, South Florida up to and including Montreal and Canada. Uh, we also manage um, uh, clubs for corporate uh, entities as well. We have 30 of those as well up and down the country. So. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks again for each of you uh, joining today's panel. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and dive into the questions. Uh, first off, since it is the beginning of the new year, um, I'm just curious, did any of you all happen to make any New Year's resolutions? I know some people didn't this year uh, just due to the challenging circumstances or their resolutions were just completely different from anything they'd normally, you know, pick. What about you all? Did you do anything? I don't, I'll go first if you like. I don't yeah. normally do resolutions, um, but this year we talked a little bit about it as a family, um, and we had with with uh, with my kids, and we've decided we're going to. Um, our resolution is to reach out and check in on people that we wouldn't normally do much more often. So much more often, much more frequently, just whether it's a phone call or a text message or a, you know or whatever or you know even just a smile and a wave. We're going to try and. Uh, make a list of people. The kids have already got lists of people, some of whom I have no idea who they are, but they're uh, <laughs> checking on them uh, more often just to make sure everyone's okay. So I think that's quite a, a nice way to start the year. Yeah, that's really sweet. I love that. Anyone else have any that they want to share? Feel free to jump in. Uh, I'll, I'll go. We, uh, I, 
traditionally we don't do New Year's resolutions. We usually do that one word where you pick one word that kind of encompasses your whole year. Um, and this year I kind of chose the word Kokora, which is kind of a blending of your heart and your mind um, into all the actions that you do. So each person in my family kind of chooses um, a word that we're going to live our, um, our year with. I like that. I, I see a, a lot of leadership companies doing the one word thing as well to set the intention mm -hmm. for the year. So Maria, were you going to say one? Yes. Um, spend more time with family. I think 2020 left us for me a gift of um, a huge reminder of what are the important things in life. And I think one of those are like quality time with family. And, um, you know, I have my my husband and my son and my parents here, but you know, I had not seen my my brothers and my family in Colombia and you know, had been six years. So just having wow. the opportunity to go back like this past December, it just reminds me that, you know, I just cannot wait uh, for something like that to happen again. And, you know, I'm just gonna have to be more mindful and take the time and then just um, go and visit them more often. I love that. Great, that's great. Yeah, what about you, Joe? Um, well, just uh, as far as resolutions, no, I think I made those for my life and uh, I'll just continue to carry on with my lifetime uh, resolutions of continually getting better at, uh, at everything I do. I did though, uh, I, I meet with my entire leadership team. I mean, like 26 of them uh, once a month. And when we met at the beginning of the year, I didn't, I don't know if you'd call this a resolution, but I asked them to do something that I learned from a book some of you may have read called Modern Warriors. And so I was listening to people who went into battle, leaders who went into battle. I knew I would learn something about business listening to it. And one of the leaders talked about the concept of incremental wins. So I like, so I like that, incremental wins. Not a giant thing, but an incremental one. And so I asked all of my leadership team, I said, I want you to think of this year as a 12 inning baseball game. And our goal is not to win it all at once, but to win it by the time we get to the 12th inning. So I asked each of them to think of an incremental win <clears throat> for their department. And when I meet with them in February, we're gonna be going over how they, what they did to accomplish their incremental win. And then they'll come up with another incremental win for the month of February. So if you look at that as a resolution, it's a month-to-month -month resolution throughout the whole year. Yeah, yeah, that's great. What about you, Vicki? Um, my um, resolution, which is more of a goal, which hopefully I'll hit by February, is to get back to my pre-baby weight. So I have about 10 pounds left to go and doing a little dry January action and uh, increasing the workouts with the rest of America <laughs> this time of year. So um, yeah, awesome. Docket. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate you all sharing those. Those are great. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and get into the nitty gritty of it all. So um, what are the biggest learning lessons of 2020 and the COVID-19 pandemic for the fitness industry? Um, Mark, do you want to go ahead and start? Um, sure. Um, you know, I, so I jotted down a couple of things, but I think this whole pandemic really taught us a lot of things in the industry. I think, you know, first and foremost, that, and I'm not saying this to kind of sound mean to a lot of us, but I, I think we weren't prepared. You know, we, we kind of just took fitness for granted as some of us do. And I think 
this pandemic showed us that we need to be different operators and we need to be prepared um, you know, for the worst case scenarios that could ever happen. Um, I know a lot of us, when we got shut down, we weren't thinking cash reserves, we weren't thinking virtual fitness, we weren't thinking, what do we do with staff and all that? And then reopening, it was just like a fight for survival versus uh, innovation to move forward into the future. So, you know, I, I think this thing taught us that we have to be open. Um, I think the other thing it taught us is that there's a lot of support that we have out there. I think, you know, there was all the webinars that Club Solutions did with the Rex Roundtable groups. There's, um, you know, a lot of us are part of the Rex Roundtables. We've had a lot of conversations with that. Um, Ursa's had support calls. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of the states, we got together and created alliances and coalitions and just realized that when we work together, um, we're actually stronger. So I think that's probably the two big lessons for me. Yeah. Are there going to be things that you're doing differently next or this year and next year based off of what you learned in 2020? Yeah. I mean, um, so, you know, we're obviously operating with the mindset of how do we get back to it, but we're also looking at all the opportunities and saying, okay, what's the next um, consumer segment that we have to go after? What's the future of fitness look like in the year 2025? Um, you know, what are, what are the things that we're going to do today to prepare so that if there ever is another event like this, how are we positioned and prepared to be that critical piece of people's continuum of care? Um, you know, we're probably not going to be the most essential, but we are a critical piece. And I think there's opportunities for us if we start to think differently to fit into that and, you know, become part of the lifestyles. So that's what we're going to attack. Yeah, Joe, what are your thoughts on the biggest learning lessons from last year? And if there's going to be anything different you'll do moving forward? I don't know if it was a new learning experience or just continuation of all the learning experiences. And I, I think the most important thing I saw was, was there's so many people had fear, right? I mean, forget just our members having fear, but you have employees who have fear wondering what's going to happen. So the, the thing I've always known as a leader, you have to be strong and you have to be optimistic. You have to be able to face the realities of what's happening, but you also have to offer the hope. And I, you know, I'll just put out there years and years ago, I read a book called The Adversity Quotient. And he mm -hmm. talked about people based upon climbing a mountain. And he said, when you get to the mountain, you'll have some people who are quitters who will say, there's no way. You'll have some people who are campers who will say, okay, we'll go to a certain point, that's good enough. And then you have the people who are the climbers. And the interesting thing about it was it was based on how much hope that they had that they could overcome the adversity. And the people who were the quitters had a low amount of hope that they could do it. The campers had a moderate amount of hope that they could overcome some adversity. But the thing that interested me most were the, the climbers. And this was the thing, and I've experienced, I've seen it, I've seen it in people, I've seen it in movies. The climbers, the worse things became, the better they became. And I think that's the most important lesson in leadership is that during the worst of times, we have to have the most hope. I'm not saying don't face reality, but you have to have the most hope that you can overcome whatever it is that's in front of you. And that was what I tried to show to all my team. And I think it worked because all my team shows it to all their teams too. Yeah, definitely. 
Vicki, what about you? Any um, anything resonating that the others have said so far in regards to biggest learning lessons or just the challenges of leadership? Yeah, kind of built off of what Mark said. I think as an industry, we were a little unprepared and it was a wake up call just how how much we have to improve with telling our story as an industry, how we need to improve with building relationships, um, improve with building relationships with decision makers, politicians, the medical community. I think we were a little caught off guard and I think that we've moved well with the alliances and the coalitions, but I think there's so much more room to, to improve and, and grow and build upon off of this year. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Maria? What are your thoughts? I think I echo, um, you know, everything that has been already said. I think just um, learning from um, overcoming the unknowns and, you know, like just to continue to push forward and um, not staying with that mindset, but then just being able to look ahead and, you know, be optimistic, as Joe is saying, you know, we just have to, you know, we have it in our shoulders, you know, like out the world needs us um, now more than ever, you know, wellness, it's needed. The well-being, um, not just only of our bodies, but our mindset is crucial. So, you know, what are we going to be doing to position ourselves where we need to be? What about you, John? I think um, yeah, everybody said really valuable um, comments around around what we learned. But the, the thing that I take away from it more than anything else is really around our communication and messaging and, and Vicky touched on it when she talked about storytelling but it is really about um, how we as an industry position ourselves going forward I think is really important and um, you know I think historically we've looked internally for membership growth in terms of uh, other people who are already members of clubs um, or people who are you know maybe moving who were a member of a club somewhere else or maybe they've got a new job and, and they can afford a, a you know they can go from an hblp to a mid-market price um offering but you know a lot of our um a lot of our marketing a lot of our communication has been aimed at the same 20 percent of the population that have been members of a health club you know for 20 years and if you take out an, uh, any advertising that we do now and, and compare it with something 20 years ago there really is very little difference between it it's, it's all, you know, um, it's all people in Lycra, for want of a better term, uh, young, fit, healthy, um, zero IV, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what we've learned is that the message that we're communicating now around safety, around, um, you know, cleanliness, around, you know, wellness, and as Maria said, the, the, the mental health aspect of what physical fitness offers people is in incredibly important and, and more important than it's ever been. And I think our messaging has to change and we have to mature a little in how we communicate that. I think that's one of the key learnings out of this. Yeah, so you're saying instead of just focusing on um, just the fitness or exercise aspects of the gyms, um, you know, to focus more on the wellness, mental health aspects so that you can reach beyond that 20%. Yeah, and, and not just that, but, you know, when we look at our advertising, why are we, why are we using, you know, the same body image the same type of people um and why are we not expanding that why are we not sort of looking to target and grow um our our, our base of of users from that 20 percent you know there's 80 percent of the population um who've never been in a health club you know, why is that and 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 you know it's intimidating in some respects for for people um yet 
I bet if you ask the 80%, they'd all say they know it's important in some respects to exercise or be well. And a lot of them would say, well, I'm doing it, I'm walking my dog, or I'm going for a swim at the beach, or I'm surfing, you know, not in Chicago at the moment because it's snowing, but, you know, somewhere in the, in the world, it is, it's good for surfing right now. And um, they would, you know, they'd be, they'd be right. That's excellent. Um, I just think we have to broaden our appeal um, to those people. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else want to jump in on that with additional thoughts? I'll come in on one thing. Um, with, with the uh, marketing, just something that I learned over the period of time, and we did a tremendous number of things to keep the environment inside the facility safe. I promise you, and we advertise the, the safest place in Gainesville um, because we have done enough stuff. One guy told me if we did one more thing, we could do surgery inside this. So the things that we've done, we made commercials on, we promoted to let people know how safe it was. But I finally realized at a point that logic doesn't matter. That the people who are terrified of coming to the gym because of the news has made it as a terrifying experience. I don't know if they're gonna come back until they get the vaccine or they're, they're really ready. Um, so, I, but I did realize that emotion is critical right now. I'm sure you probably all saw the video with the, with the old man picking up the kettlebell yeah. practicing and practicing and practicing. Then you don't know why he's doing it until eventually he sees his grandchild and he lifts her up because he can now. Um, that struck millions of people. So if you look at the marketing, you might want to say what kind of em emotional messaging can you put forward? I'm not saying don't put anything about all the things you do to create a safe environment, but I think at a certain point it becomes a waste of money uh, trying to overcome the fear that people have if they're not ready to come back by using logic to do it. Yeah, emotion is an extremely powerful thing. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. So, um, well, I wanna go back to something that Vicki said um, about just uh, last year showing us the importance of partnering with the medical community and um, just being involved um, with politicians and local governments to get out the message that um, just the importance of health and gyms. H have any of you had any success um, or made any um, positive headway towards those things in your community? I think as an, um, as an alliance, Mark and I are on the, the Maryland Coalition and um, we've had a lot of success just building relationships with our local politicians. We actually had a call last week with the uh, Maryland Health Department about trying to partner together to put, to put together a PSA about wearing masks and how gyms are safe and the benefits of exercise. So um, we feel like we've been had a good, um, we've been pretty successful. I've actually have our Baltimore County Executive coming to our um, Timonium location to tour the club so we can show them around. And in Maryland, it's, it's a small state, so people kind of know everyone, but it, you know, it's all about the relationships, you know, contribute, support their, their cause, show up at fundraisers, show up at events, get FaceTime with them. The more you can get in front of them, um, we're fortunate. We, our politicians really feel, we feel like they really want to support us and they're starting to really see the benefit of, our space, I mean, wellness, as you touched upon earlier, and health is top of mind. Everyone's concerned about being healthy and it's our job to tell our story, reframe, reposition the marketing and show how we can keep people healthy. 
Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Um, I know that a lot of clubs have had success um, if they can get, you know, the politicians um, or even the media to just come to their facilities and see all of the safety precautions that they're able to make a lot more headway. So, and, yeah. And, and, to Rachel, you know, when we talk about quote, being politically connected, the first layer of political connectedness is with your city commission and your county commission because they can, they can really dictate a lot of the rules that take place. You know, even the state can come up with one thing, they can come up with uh, some additional things. So, I mean, I'm fortunate because the person who's in charge of the county commission, he used to work for me. And even though it's part of a very liberal group who um, uh, usually have more rules, right? While they were having meetings, I was able to text him with my concerns and uh, he helped out tremendously. So I would say build relationships with your county and your city commission. And when we put all the things together about all the things that we've done to create the safest environment possible, we put the letters together. We sent them to all the city commissioners, all the county commissioners. We did it a month ago and then we did it again about uh, two and a half weeks ago, sent them back that letter again. So you might wanna kind of remind them because with all the stuff that we did, working with the city, working with the county, uh, I, I remember when one of the city employees came to the, he got done working out and I said, hey, Carl, where you been? He goes, oh, I finally made it back. I said, what, what got you back? He goes, well, I know you're the safest place in Gainesville. So that's why you wanna keep getting the word out there and keep getting it to those commissioners. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Rachel, if I could add, um, the thing that we've learned is that a lot of this started off as a reactive approach, right? So we were closed and then we built all these coalitions and all that. And so what we've tried to do in Maryland now is take a very proactive stance. So we don't want to lose touch with them. We don't want to only call them when they're, you know, updating an executive order or something. What we want to try and do is stay in front of them and have them view us as a partner. Uh, like we want to be part of the solution for them. And so you know, we've taken a stance where you, you try to understand what they're going through. You know, it's very much like sales, right? You're, you're doing the needs analysis on them to find out where their pain points are. And then how do you help become a part of the solution for them um, so that they view you in a positive light and then we can start to change the narrative. And, you know, when we first started off, we started off trying to share industry specifics and we got shut down and then we figured out what they were looking for and now we try to talk to them in their language with their stats and get them to understand it first. And then we take the approach of educating them because they don't have the access to the resources that we all do in the industry. So, you know, when URSA publishes that Oregon study, you know, we're going to send it to our people in a proactive stance and say, hey, look, make sure you guys are in the loop on this. We want to just share what's happening because if not, they're still looking at old data. Um, Vicky and I just had one where they started quoting the South um, Korean study and we had to refute it. But, you know, we find if you stay proactive and you stay in front of them, like Joe's saying, and you, you know, you're part of them, um, you get a much better response from them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then John, I know the Illinois Fitness Alliance has had some success partnering with the medical community in particular. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We've, um, as, as both, you know, as, as Mark, and Vicky have had success in Baltimore and Joe obviously 
uh, has as well. We have um, we formed the Illinois Fitness Alliance very early on uh, to focus really much on the, the the state, but also on the city of Chicago, which is a um, you know can can run separately almost to the state of Illinois uh, in some cases. So um, as Joe was saying, your, your city and county can can uh, make different directives in the state. So we we've been involved with the um, task force. Um, for the city and also the task force for the state of Illinois um, as part of that Illinois Fitness Alliance. And we partnered with the uh, Chicago uh, Medical Society, um, a number of uh, physicians and uh, in, in and around Chicagoland uh, came together to support us and uh, provide their, uh, their, their effort, their support for what we were doing and staying open. And so that's been hugely important. It, it, that got a lot of attention of, of legislators and um, uh, lawmakers here in, in Illinois and in, and in the Chicago mayor's office, um, the doctors and nurses were prepared to go into our clubs and use our clubs saying it's important for our mental health and our physical health. If you expect us to work these long hours, we need an outlet. Uh, and this is an outlet for us. And so that partnership, which you know was really driven by um, Mel Kleist at East Bank Club um, here in Chicago, has has really taken on a, a legs of it, uh, its own. And, and in Illinois, we now have a um, two month window where we've given complimentary access to all of the Illinois Fitness Alliance clubs for the uh, seventeen thousand. Um, doctors and nurses who are registered to the Chicago Medical Society to utilize our clubs uh, complimentary uh, for January and February. So um, it, it, again, as Mark was saying, you've got to be proactive, you've got to get out in front of it, and you've got to continue to push the message. Definitely. Yeah, and for anyone who um, heard that story and is interested in learning more, Mel Kleist um, is actually going to be on the cover of the February issue, and we're, we're going to go into detail into how that partnership with a Chicago Medical Society came about. So just a heads up for anyone who's interested. Right. All right. Well, um, you know, recognizing that we're not in a normal environment uh, still, what do you guys feel will be the biggest trends of 2021 for the fitness industry? Joe, you want to go ahead and start? Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not pretending to know what's going to happen externally. All right. I mean, we know all the things we hear, the virtual fitness, the outdoor training, and we're building outdoor decks for, for training and all. But our efforts are more internal. And, and then meaning like with our marketing efforts, it's really getting a greater understanding of the messaging and who are the best markets to go after now. And in those different markets, what are the what is the right wording to make sure we make the right kind of contact with them? You know, looking at little things, uh, you know, one of the, you know, we've never been big on online sales, but we said, no, we got to get better at online sales. So I went through it with my sales manager and we just tweaked a few little words as I was looking at thinking that doesn't, that could be a little confusing to people. So we made a few little tweaks and right now, halfway through the month, we've increased the number, the number of uh, sales that have made online five times, just halfway through the month, five times halfway through a month of what we do in a typical month. So the online market or the online sales will be good, but a big part of it is what is the right messaging, the right words, the right emotional ads uh, that I had talked about, which age groups uh, should we be focusing on, which age groups should we be focusing on in a month from now, 
as more and more people get the vaccine. So this is the, the one of the major things that we're working on. We have other things, but that's one of the major things. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, um, you know, online join was something that some clubs were doing. Um, and I think obviously that's become more prevalent. Does everyone on the panel, do you guys have online join options now? And is this something that was added because of the pandemic? Um, we've had it for a couple of years now, online joins. So um, it's part of our normal sales workflow, but um, we've seen it increase over, and particularly people who canceled over the um the shutdown period who are coming back now are taking advantage of it. We see a lot of that. So they already know the club. They know what they're getting into and what they're buying. And so, yeah, we've had a lot of feedback that, yeah, I'm just going to join online. I'll just, you know, you'll see me back next week when I, you know, um, so that's been fairly positive. Yeah. What about you, Maria? We don't have online sales yet. Um, but I, you know, like just same thing that Joe, I, you know, things are being pushed, you know, like to be changing. So um, that's one of our projects for, for the next upcoming months. Perfect. Yeah, um, anyone else wanna jump in on trends um, or even just, you know, unique ways that they'll be serving the community in 2021? Rach, one of the things that I, I might just jump in on, it, yeah. I'm not sure it's a trend um, yet for this year. I, you know, as Joe said, it's hard to, go away from what are the, the things that people have been talking about, virtual classes, you know, even virtual classes in studios, you know, big, big screens and studios and things like that uh, as an alternative to online and as an alternative to a live class. I think those things are going to continue and, and outdoor training, as Joe's already mentioned. But one area that's slightly different that I think is something that I'm starting to hear, we haven't really seen it yet, um, so maybe it's emerging, is the... Um, is the benefits area for staff. Um, and, and, you know, we've got a number of people went through the shutdown who were furloughed and who um, for, for one reason or another may not have had benefits or, or maybe um, were part-time, you know, personal trainers or, or fitness instructors who didn't have access to them in any way in the first place um, through company benefit schemes. It's starting to become something that I'm hearing more of from uh, people who are coming back is you know, what level can I qualify for benefits? How many hours do I need to do to get benefits? Um, perhaps if I did some more hours with you rather than three other clubs where I'm teaching um, and I combined that, then can I qualify for benefits? You know, so it's starting to be more of an awareness around that. Um, you know, predominantly we have a lot of young people who are working in the clubs and, and you know, you know, if you remember back, and it's a long time for me, uh, in the 20s, you pretty much feel bulletproof. So, you know, you don't keep too much about it. Um, but I think what this has shown people is that, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, that you can be susceptible to, to things that come out of left field. And, um, and we're starting to hear it more. And, and so as a result, we've really started to dive into our benefit packages and what we offer and how we offer them and, and at what level we offer them to. And we're doing some research with Starbucks and the benefits package they, they offer um, to their people and, and how that works to see if we can improve that and if that it becomes something that makes us a better employer. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, I know that you guys had, um, you know, been looking at your benefits package and trying to improve that over even before the pandemic, right? Wasn't that a main focus for you all? Yeah, yeah. So we, we've, um, we, have, we have a pretty extensive 
Um, prior to the pandemic, we were at 85% of a family's benefits. Um, and, and we've maintained that. We actually ate all of our increases this year so that we didn't pass any of it on to our employees. And in some cases, the people who stayed during the pandemic, you know, we've enhanced it even a little bit more. Um, you know, we've always viewed benefits as being um, a, key, a key component. So, you know, we want people, you know, our long-term goal has always been to be able to cover 100% of our benefits for everybody. Um, and that's still an objective that we have. Um, and we're just going to continue to figure out how to do that because we feel that when you get the right people, you got to just take care of them. Um, and if you do the right thing, then they're going to do the right thing for the company. Yeah, Vicki or Maria, are there any ways that you guys are have been trying to take care of your employees um, through this really challenging time? Maybe not even through benefits, but just, you know, ways to make sure that they're having a positive mental health and they're just doing okay? We've, um, we've offered some mental health resources for our team, um, especially initially when, when the, the closure ha happened for about two and a half, three months. Um, we've partnered with their HR company and was able to provide some resources for people that they could talk to um, and really just let them know that we're here for that. Um, and, and during the closure, we, we were able to fortunately financially support them during that time. And since reopening, we're kind of rebuilding, you know, it's an interesting kind of transition phase because you're kind of rebuilding and seeing where the pieces are laying, but just starting to get back into the rhythms, the, trying to figure out the new meeting rhythm, communication rhythm, how it works in this remote, workspace, giving people a little more flexibility, working you know, from a corporate office, for example, working from headquarters, working from home, um, and really just letting them know that you're there for them. Um, you know, there's a statistic that's come out that 50% of Americans, one out of every two Americans said that they've experienced negative impacts from COVID on their psychological well-being and mental health. So mental health is important, not only for our members, but for our team as well. And a lot of that starts with just having the conversation and really digging in and letting your team know that you're there for them and finding out what's wrong and then helping to point them in the right direction or not finding out what's wrong, but finding out how you can support them and then point them in the right direction. Yeah, very important. I think for us was um, just checking on um, frequently, you know, on our team when we were closed and we're still, we're not operating 100%. We're partially um, operating uh, both facilities. So there's still some um, of our team members that they have not returned fully to work. So um, it's just being there for them, being accessible. And um, it's just not an ideal situation for everybody, but I think just when you are available and open and um, they know that they can count on you, then um, it's just, you know, the best that you can do. Yeah, definitely. All right, um, let's go back to um, something that John had mentioned about, you know, online training, virtual fitness, and, and that trend just growing over the course of the last 10 to 12 months. Um, you know, what is that going to look like for each of your organizations over the next year? Are you going to be investing, continuing to invest in online training and expanding your services, or will you be kind of pulling that back as your clubs continue to be reopened fully? Go, feel free to jump in. Uh, Rachel, if I could, I'll, I'll start on that. So pr prior to answering that question, though, I wanted to go back to one of the other trends, which I think relates to it. So I think one of the trends that we're seeing is there's probably these, um, you know, these, I'm going to call them three different types of consumers that are happening today, right? You have the people that have left the gyms and they're, 
Um, to Joe's earlier point, they're scared to even come back. They have a bad perception. They're going to wait for the vaccine. Then you have these, I'm going to call them the reluctant stragglers, you know, the ones that, you know, they're, they're slowly starting to migrate back in after nine months and they take their time and, you know, they know health is important, but they just want to kind of make sure that we're doing the things that we say we're going to do. And then there's this whole new consumer. And, you know, we have to find out who they are, how do we identify them, how do we go after them, to John's earlier point with regards to our marketing and all that. And so, you know, the virtual concept is one of those concepts that's going to allow us to become that omni-channel, like how can you hit all three of those segments across the board? So, you know, we've already invested in it through our app and, you know, built a virtual studio room and things like that. But I, you know, I can envision it being a part of fitness. You know, I heard some stat today. Um, that 70% of clubs already have a virtual component like that, where prior to COVID, it was like only 20%. So, you know, it's rapidly advancing. And I think we have to keep evolving it as a whole um, and think about how all those aspects, even to like what when, um, to what Vicky was talking about with regards to our staffing, you know, we personally have had a lot more virtual meetings and we continue to have our meetings um, but we allow people because of the work from home and the schools and this, you know, the things that are happening within all the communities that we have to just adapt and be comfortable with how we're doing the business now. And I think all these are going to be components of that, that virtual thing that we have to look at. Yeah, I think consumers are definitely um, really craving flexibility, no matter what it is that they're consuming, whether it's, you know, being able to pay things for things online, access their fitness, you name yeah. it. Yeah. Rach, just to add to that, I think one of the things to, to look at over the next 12 months is going to be who delivers that content and how they deliver it. You know, Apple Plus is just getting started. Um, and, and, you know, if you know anything about Apple, they don't do things by halves. And uh, that's going to come running in uh, pretty quickly and ramp up really fast. And so it, it depends on your consumer, I guess. You know, you, you've got to start off with a, $600 watch to get, you know, to get started. So there's a barrier to entry there. So it's, it's not quite as much as buying a Peloton bike, but it's, you know, it's substantial for a lot of people. So, um, you know, there are barriers to entry, but they are going to start to have um, an impact in this uh, virtual training uh, world that we have. And, and we've all scrambled a little bit to put this together and, and, you know, whether we're doing it on, Zoom or we were doing it on um, Instagram or Facebook or, or whether we've got an app and we're delivering it through, a, through an app environment. It, it's, it's, yeah, we, we, we just really, none of us, well, I don't know, Joe maybe, but none of us have got the resources that Apple have got um, to put behind it and, and to try to, to build that um, platform and product out. So it's going to be interesting to see whether that becomes more of a player or whether people are going to like the more local live, which is more where you have, I know the instructor, you know, and I know that they're, they're somebody at the gym and that I go to or I've been to, or, you know, it's a local, more of a community feel. So there's going to be people who like that. And there's going to be people who are going to look at the, uh, you know, P90X on, on the, on Apple plus that might be more, more might appeal more because it's more polished or might look more polished. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on how to compete with things like Peloton or um, Apple Watch, or if it even is a competition? Um, should you be emphasizing relationships with instructors and trainers to kind of combat that? What are your guys' thoughts? If I can, add, if I can add anything into that. 
we, we have really no expertise in that world. Um, I mean, do we do it? Yes, we did it because obviously people weren't able to come to the centers. So we put uh, in a lot of effort to be able to be connected you know, to the members that way. But I have not figured out how we're gonna monetize that. So I don't see personally why we wanna put a lot of energy into it when there's so many other things you know, that we could be focused on. I'm not afraid of all the different tools, the people having equipment at home, Peloton. You know, I've been doing this my whole life. And I'm gonna tell you something, probably 80% of all our members have equipment at home that they still join the gym. And I, I don't know if the fact that there's now technology connected to it, if that's all of a sudden going to change everything, it'd be like, you know, it'd be real interesting. I mean, why does anybody have to go to the movies anymore, right? I mean, the challenge is movie theaters aren't open right now, but we know all the contents on television. But I guarantee you, when the movie theaters open and we get past all this craziness, the people will still go to the movies because they still want to be part of groups watching and having the same experience. So I'm, you know, I'm not just, I'm personally just not sold that the whole world is moving that way simply because it was, it was, we don't know, is it a fad or is it a trend? I mean, I know Apple getting involved in this kind of stuff, you know, makes it pretty good, you know, put some words out there that this is for real, but you know, it's, I mean, I know when they came out with the Apple Watch, I mean, I don't know if everybody thought, well, nobody's going to join the gym anymore because uh, everything's on their Apple Watch. But I see a lot of people, including myself, going into the gym wearing their Apple Watch. So we'll see. I, I, I have a wait and see attitude, you know, toward that. There's too many other things we can focus on to really become good at. And like I said earlier, everything isn't what's happening out in the external environment. It's how we're handling the internal environment. So even simple things like, how do we become better getaway referrals from the people who are coming to the center? Most likely their friends aren't living in fear and maybe we can work better and come up with better ways of them bringing their friends into the center. I know it's like quote old fashioned thinking, but it still works. So those are the kind of things that we're gonna work on getting better at. Yeah. Yeah, Rachel, I have to go wholeheartedly. I just, you know, I'm, I'm putting it out there because it's a, it's a, another, it's another modality or it's another, it's another channel. Um, but I don't think we are equipped and certainly to deliver in any way something as, as sophisticated as what they will do. Um, I do believe we should be focused on our member experience and, and what we deliver and what is, what is it that we offer people. And as Joe said, you know, it's that community, it's that connectedness, it's that, um, that feeling that you're part of something bigger than yourself, you know, which you know, is very hard to get through a screen or technology. Yeah. I think virtual is, is table stakes where people need to have it, but I don't, I see it as, or I read somewhere that uh, due to the virtual increase of participation, more and more people are working out, which is great. And so when COVID passes and these people who are longing and craving for human interaction, they're going to be looking for a place to go. And the, uh, what I read is that a lot of the people doing the virtual or at-home workouts are on that beginner level. So someone touched upon it earlier about um, offering a non-intimidating experience and really looking at your offerings and 
and, and think whether or not you're prepared to have those beginner exercisers who have just started doing something at home because they can't do anything else and are now looking for a place to go. Look at your programs and offerings to make sure you have something to hit that market because I think it's going to open up the marketplace and create more opportunities for us because people want human interaction. They, they miss it. They crave it. And there will always be a place for what we do inside the clubs. Right. Maria, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, like to me, virtual will be just that convenience aspect of things for many people. But um, we have members coming back or members that I see out and, you know, they human interaction is what they are craving and what they need. And, you know, I think many of us have been in many Zoom calls, you know, like how many times a day. And I personally like crave to like meet with people face to face. Um, you know, I, it has connect us with the world, but on the other hand, it's, it's not a fun thing to be in front of a screen, you know, exercising or talking or joking. Um, so we have to be prepared for, for that human interaction, for bringing people together, for continue to build our community. So um, having the option, I think it's important, but I don't think it will be like a key player um, for some of us. Yeah, a lot of gyms are, um, and operators are talking about the integration of online and offline and, and using, um, you know, virtual. It's just an opportunity to stay connected with people whenever they can't come into the physical facility. So, Rachel, I, I think on all these trends, I think, you know, as operators, we have to understand them. But, you know, like Joe had said, you, you got to know what you're good at and we got to know what the industry is good at. And, and the bricks and mortars have always been a socialization, right? People crave interaction with other people. Uh, we can all go around our gyms and we have people who've been members for like 20 plus years and they have the exact same bodies. So they're clearly not there just for the fitness. They're there for, you know, their friends, their family, the connections they make, the interaction, the, you know, the sense of belonging and things like that. And that's the things you don't get from the virtual. But at the same time, if we understand how these things can be powerful for us. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago in Maryland, we had Lifetime moving in and a bunch of us got together and we created this um, elite sports network where we we're gonna share each other because we were afraid of Lifetime coming in. And I remember meeting with um, the Lifetime executives and they said, you're gonna have your best sales year when we come in because it's just gonna create more awareness. And sure enough, we all profited from them because they create more awareness. And I think Apple does this, you know, Peloton's going to do this. It's put such an awareness on this. And then it's almost going to be like the curves effect, right? People are going to start off with that. And then when they start to feel more competent in their own abilities and what they can do, they're going to venture into the clubs because then they want the socialization. They want the interaction. And, you know, we have to educate our staff on why these trends exist and why we're different than the trend and what we do that nobody else does and why we do that. And if we can create that message and our staff can recite that properly, then you know we're, gonna, we're all gonna advance in this new year. Yeah, and I just wanna add something to this too. And uh, you know, if you look at where everybody is in the country and around the country, we're all at different places. There's some clubs that it's, where it's, we're in survival mode. There's other clubs, well, we passed survival mode, we're actually now starting to grow again. Then you have some clubs that are getting pretty close to where they were before. And I think it's really important that they, we all stay in contact with each other. Now, as Mark knows, I've been part of the Rex groups for a long time. 
And because of that, I'm able to talk to people at all different levels. And, and, and fortunately, we're one of the levels that are further ahead only because the state of Florida has been opened up for 100% since last September. So we've been able to learn things and I'm more than happy to share information about the progression of things. So I think it's important that we learn from the people at the different points in time because you can almost look at history and you can look at the future because it's already occurring as we, as we pass through all of the months that we're passing through. Everybody can see where they are on the continuum and um, move forward on it. Yeah, definitely. Good point. Yeah, well, we've got about uh, 12 minutes left. So I'm gonna uh, address a couple of questions from the audience. Um, I've got a couple ones on, you know, tips and strategies for how clubs can bounce back um, this year. I mean, maybe any new revenue generating opportunities that they can consider. I think bounce back is a, you know, it's a relative term. As Joe said, depending on where you are in the, on the scheme uh, of things at the moment, on, um, on the continuum. But, you know, one of the things that we're looking at is just really doubling down on um, getting people confident coming back. You know, membership dues is, is and always will be our number one um, driver of revenue. Um, and so getting people back and, and getting people confident to um, come back and use us and then talk about us, share word of mouth and referrals. Um, that's our key driver. You know, we're not back to and any of our clubs back to where we were this time last year so for us over the next eight nine ten months and, and and look i do believe there'll be a bit of a hockey stick approach to this i think it's going to continue to to gradually improve and then i think once there's a, a confidence in the vaccine rollout and, and people are feeling like they've been caged up and I, you know we're starting to see that in a couple of states now um it's going to really you know really pick up and take off you know and just as an example we, we have a club in, in georgia uh, in northern suburbs of Atlanta, and um, you know, we're we're expecting to do uh, more sales, more new sales, more new memberships in January this year than we did last year. Um, and that's only one of our clubs. You know, we we have a club in Florida as well that that is in South Florida, and it's uh, they're under different restrictions than than Joe is, but um, you know, it's it's steady. You know, it's it's we're we're seeing marginal improvements in membership, but um, but. Georgia and Atlanta, it's it's coming back strongly. And, you know, by comparison in Montreal, we have a club in, in Montreal. We're still closed down in Quebec, uh, in Canada. So uh, we still don't have, obviously, any revenue there. Um, so it's a matter of, for us, it's just keep working, keep one foot in front of the other, um, make sure the member experience is, is your first and primary uh, method of attack. Yeah, great advice. Mark, are you jump in? Yeah, if I could add something, I, I think the, you know, the first key to the bounce back strategy, as both John and, and Joe have alluded to, um, and all the other panelists, is it's it comes down to I think the mindset of all of us, right? If we are having conversations about the woe is me, about the stuff that's going wrong and all that, then you know what, we're not going to bounce back. But if we start to have conversations about the future and you know about what it's going to look like and the hope that it's going to get better faster than later. But in the meantime, what we can control is this. Um, you know, I think it all comes down to our mindsets and how we behave and do things. 
And then I think the other part of the bounce back strategy is we need to go out and engage our staff. You know, we, one thing we've learned from this is that we're smarter together. And so all of our staff are understanding what our members are going through. They're understanding what people that are not joining the gyms are going through or canceling. And you know what, we have to identify what the problems are and then how can we now become a solution for various things? I think, you know, a lot of clubs have had success. I know we've had success with it, with um, helping the schools because all the schools went virtual and the parents don't have a place to put their kids. So, you know, they're dropping them off at our clubs and, you know, we help them with schooling and all that. And, you know, it's been a great revenue source for us, but, you know, it's not going to be a long-term revenue source. Um, you know, the key revenue source for any of us in this industry is always going to be the lifeblood of membership. And in order to do that, we have to figure out how to get people back comfortable. Um, and we have to find that emotion that um, Joe was talking about at the beginning. But I think a lot of it starts with our own thinking um, and our own mindsets. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point too about, um, you know, it being specific to your local community and then also just finding out, you know, what your local community's needs really are and figuring out if your club can, you know, service them in any way. I know Maria, um, that's something that Club Fitness had done. Um, what wasn't the local swim teams? They didn't have a place to swim. Is that correct? Yeah. So right now we did something um, similar with, um, with the schools, you know, and we still have like the middle school and high schoolers are not in school yet. So we do have teachers that they are here and they're helping them with their virtual school um, homework and then just making sure that they are like turning all the work in. And we also partner up with um, a local swim team. And then just because we're partially open, we were we are very flexible with the hours. So um, these kids and their families became members and then they're able to come and swim during the time that our members are not here. Um, and then they're swimming six days a week. So it was something that we were able to work for them. We were able to bring some of that revenue that we have lose um, with cancellations and freezes. Um, and hopefully it will be a partnership that we will be able to continue on. What about you, Vicki? Any unique ways that you guys are serving the community during this time or um, even just like financial tips for other operators? Um, we've done some stuff with our virtual studio of offering um, free access for um, uh, first responders and, and healthcare workers to try to keep them active and healthy. Um, uh, that's really been our biggest thing is just using, using our virtual options. Um, as far as some revenue sources, you know, every, we've talked about this a lot, a lot during our Rex groups and people are probably aware of the two big groups are your, your frozen members and your, the canceled members and just trying to find ways to keep them engaged, whether it's with offering some free virtual options, offering to get them, um, tour them around the club, just different ways to stay in touch with them was just so important for people during this time because, probably like most clubs, you have a pool of a couple thousand members that's sitting there who are frozen. And when, when they feel comfortable, they're gonna make those decisions. You wanna still be top of mind for them when they're ready to move again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another question from the audience um, uh, in regards to personal training, which obviously was one of the biggest revenue drivers prior to the pandemic. Um, have you all had any success ramping up your personal training since pre-opening? I'll, uh, I, I'll talk in there. That was probably surprisingly one of our more challenging areas. And, you know, we probably started out initially with revenues as compared to previous uh, times, maybe 
30% of revenues. Now we're projecting this month to be about 55% of revenues. I think one of the biggest challenges that we had is a number of the people who are in personal training were older. And once again, they were the ones who were the most terrified of this. But we are just continually working on it. Probably the best thing for us growing personal training again is making sure that everybody who joins the club gets the opportunity to have a free personal training session. That seems to be one of the biggest growth areas of personal training. So I'm expecting it to continue to keep growing and we'll continue to keep doing the right things. Yeah, yeah anyone else have any tips on ramping yeah. up personal training? Yeah, John? Nico, we've had the same, we've had the similar results really. It's been, it's been slow to come back. Um, some of that's been down to personal trainers figuring out how to do it themselves online too. You know, so you can take it online and, and deliver a personal training session. Um, you know, don't necessarily need to be in the club to do so. Um, so, so I think that's had a, a had an impact as well. Um, I think you know, as Joe mentioned, getting people comfortable coming back, whether it's with a personal training session or some other onboarding um, program that you you might you might have. I mean, we have a, a, an onboarding program called Launch. Um, which is um, designed around 30-minute sessions. So, uh, and it can be anything from PT to massage to Pilates or tennis or you know swimming, whatever you whatever you want. We can build it around the individual. Um, but it is about getting those people engaged with some of our services, some of our extra services. Yeah. We offer um, our members had the option when we were closed to um, remain active. And then for any of those members who remain active, we gave them a list of options that um, as gifts for each month that they kept their membership going. And one of those options were like small group training, adult swim lessons. And um, I would say probably tri personal training was the, um, the best response that we got. So members who had never had experienced our programs before, they were able to try it. And some of those members were seeing just um, continue on with uh, within the program. Yeah. Awesome. We're almost out of time. So um, to end, I just kind of um, would each of you maybe share like a bright spot over the last 12 months um, so we can end on a positive note or just something that you were encouraged by. And anyone feel free to start. I was encouraged by our staff. I think it's been mentioned before. Our, our people were phenomenal over the um, close down. Uh, you know, everyone everyone really scrambled to um, to connect with members in any way, shape, or form. With and, and it didn't seem to matter whether they were furloughed or not furloughed, whether they were still on. You know, they had a, we 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 had people who stayed on but took um, salary restrict you know reductions to stay on. Um, but everybody's attitude has been so positive and so forward thinking in terms of what can we do to positively support our members and, and our communities. And I think it just was a, it, it, it gave me hope for people. And yeah. that's a positive thing. Definitely. Joe? Same thing for us, you know, when we are closed for the two months, you wouldn't believe how many of the staff came in every day. And we got 12 months worth of projects done over that two month period of time. 
and how everybody pitched in, how everybody worked together. Uh, it was it was great to see. I knew, and I've I've said it many times. I have a great staff, but there's nothing like something like this occurring when you see the great staff in action above and beyond where they ever had to be at that moment in time. And uh, so just like uh, just like John, that was probably the biggest bright spot, and it still is a bright spot. It still is a bright spot seeing the the enthusiasm of the employees coming to work every day. And, and just to quickly backtrack on something, I think the most important thing is that as the leaders of the company is that we build relationships with our staff. And I've learned there's no better way than taking four or five to lunch every single week and sitting down and learning from them and taking them to dinner, 20 to 30 of them to dinner every month. So we can, just an opportunity to learn more about them, not them, not us telling, not me telling me about me, but me learning about them. That's where I think I build the best relationships with the teams. Yeah. What about you, Vicki? What was a bright spot? Yeah, I mean, our staff has been amazing. Like everyone said, it's like what John Wooden says, tough times don't reveal character, tough times show, tough times don't build character, tough times reveals character. And I've been so proud of how our team stepped up. It's also been amazing how the industry has come together. Mark and I are working together on a daily basis, other health club owners in Maryland on a local level, other health club owners throughout the nation, throughout the world. We have an amazing industry and we have great relationships and we can do really big things and it's exciting for the possibilities of what to come. Um, and just one other thing that we didn't really talk about, um, just we touched briefly about mental health and I talked about one out of every two Americans. I think there's a huge opportunity for us as an industry to shift from just fitness to wellness. And whether it's in 2021 or the future, mental health is a parallel pandemic that will be around far longer than COVID. And these people are gonna need help. And guess what? Exercise helps people feel better. Meditation, yoga, breathing, all reduces stress and anxiety. So again, think ahead. How can you reframe your marketing? How can you shift your programming? Because I think there's a huge opportunity without how in the mental health world and we help people stay healthy. So keep that in mind as you're planning for the future. Yeah. What about you, Maria? Bright spots are just parting words of advice. I would say relationships. You know, I think, you know, everybody has mentioned staff have to say um, our members, you know, we're wonderful too. Checking on the staff, checking on us, caring about, you know, our clubs reopening, just so seeing that support. And then from the industry on itself, you know, I, I think it has been just wonderful to know that we can reach out to each other, that we're there to help out. Um, so I think relationships um, have become the highlight of, um, of this challenge that we all have been facing in different ways. Yeah. All right, Mark. Uh, well, I, I have to echo what everyone on here said. So my initial thought was, you know, staff was obviously unbelievable um, and they continue to do so. You, you just learn so much about them. Um, the members have been unbelievably supportive of everything. Um, and it's actually great when they go online and they start to take a stand for you. Um, makes you feel really good. So it's all about relationships. But, you know, if I was going to give that last piece of parting advice, I would be, you know, we've got we've got to shift 17 inches, right? We've got to shift from here to our heart. And if we start to operate out of love and, you know, do the right things that we know we're good at and what we can do, um, this industry is just an unbelievable industry. And the impact that we will have on people um, will continue, not just for 2021, but for the next 50 years. And uh, 
you know, I think the future is just going to be ripe for all of us. And I just look so forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we're out of time. Um, panelists, thank you all so much for taking the time to join us today and share your expertise. It was really great. Um, thanks and for thanks. Us. Yeah. And thanks to the audience for tuning in. And um, this will be a monthly series. Um, we'll be back next month uh, for the thought leadership, sorry, thought leadership series. So keep an eye out for future marketing on that. But all right, that's it. Everyone have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye. Bye.